Hey, this is Raymond Benson, and you're listening to On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. White Rocket Entertainment. White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 412. Hello and welcome to On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, brought to you by White Rocket Entertainment in association with all of our great supporters via Patreon.com. I'm Van Allen Plexico, and I'm joined for this series of review episodes reviewing all 24 of the Eon James Bond movies before the 25th one, which we now know the name of, comes out next year. And I'm joined by my co-host, Alan J. Porter. Welcome back aboard, Alan. Thanks, Van. It's good to be back. And uh, sometimes the world is not enough, but you just do not have the time to die. I don't have time to die. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't have time to die right now. You have to come back later. Yeah. So that what do you think of that? Before we're, we're going to talk, obviously, about the world is not enough. But uh-huh. but before we get into that, we had that big announcement of, of the 25th Bond film title, which some had speculated would be Shatterhand, which I think is an awesome title. And they got they got a whole lot of negative feedback in social media. It seemed to me people were like Shatterhand. That's stupid. So. So they've, they, to me, it seems like they've reverted back to the Brazen era. It's like the mid-90s, late, late 90s, and we've got another something die, something up, something die episode. What do you, what do you think about that? Um, well, I'm sort of underwhelmed on two, two uh, aspects of it. One, you said a big announcement. I don't think it was a big announcement. I don't think it was released. It sort of more escaped yesterday on social media. Um, oh, I, mean, I, didn't, I didn't know that. <laughs> Why? Well, there was no real, I mean, there was just, there was, they put postings on the social media accounts, but there was no sort of heads up. There was, hmm. you know, it was a bit like the uh, the big live streaming event that they had in Jamaica. It was all just a bit, uh, like, yeah. I suppose we got to do something at some point type thing. I don't know. It just seemed a, a bit lackluster. Um, hmm. Maybe that's just the marketing guy in me coming out. Um, so it sort of just, you know, just suddenly appeared on, on social media yesterday mm-hmm. um, with that sort of little video clip that they, you know, had um where they've obviously gone through the uh, the standard fonts and uh, <laughs> available in microsoft word and picked the weirdest love boat font they could the find love boat font yes the stealth boat uh, it's the stealth boat alan not the love boat <laughs> um it's the same font used on the love boat tv show yeah i um, know i know but it's a stealth yeah. boat on james bond it's not bond, yeah yeah it just seemed all a bit sort of half-hearted hmm. um with the release and the name yeah again it just seems fairly unimaginative and generic um i think i saw somebody said it looks like they put you know the uh, the title of every bond movie and every bond novel into a blender yes. switch it on and see what came out um so yeah it, it I, you know, I've seen, I've seen the the responses of people who absolutely hate it. I've seen people's because it seems so generic. I've seen people who absolutely love it because they think it's you know uh, sort of a more of a callback to a more classic Bond title. Um, personally, I'm sort of in the middle of a bit of like, uh, but I tell you what, at least they haven't given the plot, of the, the twist of the plot of the movie away in the name of the 
in the title <laughs> like they did last time. Yeah, it's it's not like it's no time for for Blofeld to die. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, and there's also you know already lots of little uh, rumors running. People reading more, probably more into the type the words used in the title than are probably there. So we'll uh, yeah. be interested to see where it goes. Uh, we'll get, we'll, like the like all of them, we'll get used to it, but. Uh, it didn't exactly blow my socks off. I'll tell you that. So. I, I'm glad that you mentioned the when they did the release of the, of the previous one because, for all that the previous one title was kind of a spoiler, you you, you, know, you have to admit that it was a very dramatic reveal. It had history to it. It was, yeah. It had, I, I mean, mean and it, it and it was an event too. I mean, they they yeah. did it all together. They introduced the cast and they did the title reveal, and it was a big event. And it was you know. We were all glued to our screens, and then this time, like I said, we've had two sort of uh, <laughs> things. Like they, yeah. I don't know whether they sacked the marketing department or what. But I, <laughs> yeah, so there goes my job. Of a chance of ever getting a marketing job with Eon. Um, <laughs> yeah, not 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 the greatest. I, yeah, I'm just very. I, I don't hate it. I mean, it just sounds like yeah. I mean, one from column A, one from column B. You got to put time in there and die and. There was yeah, a, I mean, it, it's like one of those what you know, one of those things you get on Facebook. You know, mm-hmm. what, what's your Bond title? You know, pick yeah. your, your your month of birth and the the, the week and <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. the day. One from this column, one from that column. Yeah. So, yeah. Somebody had a good little exchange where they had like, uh, uh, no, Mister Bond, I expect you to die. No, no, there's no time to die. Whoa, well, I guess you'll have to die another day. And they kept going back and forth like that for a while. And then finally Bond says, Moonraker. And, and yeah, he's like, yeah, what? Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. pretty good. And I, I, actually, when we got on the uh, – we recorded the uh, Raymond Benson podcast, uh, Bond Music podca- podcast for Honor Majesty's uh, Secret Service last night. And when we first got on, Raymond did a whole spiel um, where he did all that. And unfortunately, we didn't catch it on the recording. And he couldn't – and he just did it off the top of his head, so he couldn't remember what it oh, was. Oh, no, that's funny. That's too bad. Lost it. Lost yeah. it forever. Yeah. Well. So, where he strung, he strung all those movie titles together in, like, an intro, <laughs> which was really cool. But unfortunately, <laughs> I say we, we didn't catch it. So. Uh, uh, that's why I turn my audio recorder on the second I call you, <laughs> just to make sure <laughs> any gold that comes out, mostly from you, but maybe occasionally from me, I want to make sure we have it on the, on the record. Oh, I, <laughs> but anyway. I, I wouldn't – I wouldn't uh, – have too much anticipation of any gold coming from me. <laughs> well, we've got a golden bond film tonight. Now it's it's not. I, I, we always kind of talk about. All right, let me go ahead and open my thing here. We always talk about you know where we rank them, and um, and we have a couple other things. Of course, we have to get to before we get into the movie. But but I just this is one that I think of as it's got things going for it. It's got a couple of things going against it. It's not my favorite Pierce Brosnan Bond. But it's not a bad one, and it is a Pierce Brosnan Bond, so that automatically, you know, elevates it above um, most, uh, above quite a few of them. And here's the other thing I noticed: um, I, I've watched this movie many times, and I watched it fairly recently. But I watched it again this afternoon, and I'm just going to throw this out now, and you can tell me what you think, or we can talk about it later. But the thing that really struck me about this movie this time, and I don't mean this in a bad way at all, just a kind of a like, huh, you know, just, huh, isn't that interesting, is it struck me how much Roger Moore there was of, of, of Pierce's performance in this movie. Th- to me, this is the most Roger Moore 
And again, I don't mean that in a bad way. I don't know if I necessarily mean it in a good way, just kind of in a factual way, an observational way. It just seemed to me that he was he, there was a lot of Roger Moore in this movie in, in how he played it. Did, did you ever notice that? Or did that strike you at all? I think it was the most Roger Moore-like of the Brosnan ones, yes. I think there was a couple of places where, in fact, it was a little too forced. Um, hmm. Yeah, I mean, we've mentioned in the in the you know the previous two, there was maybe one or two moments where you're like, oh, that was a bit Roger Moore-like. Uh, yeah, in this one, there seems to be quite a bit more. Uh, you know, I, I've always said, you know, that uh, Pierce, um, I think, was sort of badly served by the fact that the movies sort of, you know, he started out really strong and they just got weaker and weaker and weaker. Um, hmm. So, you know, uh, this is my third favorite of the of the Piers Brosnan ones because we're just sort of going down yes. uh, and I think but I think as you said it's got a lot going for it and um, there's parts of it I really like I think it's got three major flaws and I think one of those flaws is the sc- squeezing in the Roger Moreisms when they don't really belong and as much as I like Brosnan as, and he is my favorite Bond I, some of those quips just don't play and innuendo remarks just don't play right coming from him and I, th- I think the f- the first time I really noticed it this time though, wasn't even him saying something. It's when he's driving the little boat. Because the boat, yeah, yeah, the little cue Q- fishing boat. When he's driving that little black speedboat around, a lot of that is Pierce Brosnan. You know, it's like him driving one of his cars, or whatever. And I love it. But when he goes kind of underwater and he adjusts his tie as he's going underwater, that's more Roger Moore than it is Pierce Brosnan to me. Actually, it was Brosnan that suggested that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's probably why he thought of it is because it looks like something Roger Moore would have done that he would. Well, no, I mean he did he did the tie tie thing with the tank as well. I think it was a continuation of that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But I guess in an underwater boat vehicle type thing, it just reminded me of Roger Moore in the uh, in the white uh, submarine car. Uh, We'll probably get to it, but for me, it's right there from the opening sequence with his response and the the. uh, the innuendo with the uh, the cigar girl. Oh, so. I, okay, yeah, I love the cigar. Movie. Okay, well, yeah. Well, so. anyway, um, yeah. All right, what else do we need to do before yeah, we talk about that, the movie? So, yeah, you talked about what it is on the listing. So, um, on my personal listing, this is pretty much well, just just low of middle. It's fifteen on my list. Um, fifteen. Fifteen, yeah. And yes, on yes. the Sunday Times definitive rankings, they have it as number twenty-two, which I completely oh, disagree. With. God, no, that's terrible. Um, yeah. Where do you? Now, this is always fun for me. I always ask, where do you think it is on mine? <laughs> I always enjoy this. Knowing your love of Brosnan and stuff, um, I'd say probably around eleven. It is fourteen. One above you. Oh, just one above okay. you. Okay, yeah. we were actually closer on that one then. So. Yeah, that's about as close as we've been on any of them. I think, probably. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. good. All right, all right. Yeah. Well, um, so let's see. We need to talk about its uh, connections to the books or not, and I don't think there's much other than the name, right? Right. I really, the only thing is the use of the the Bond family motto. Um, of uh, the world is not enough, which was uh, introduced by Fleming in the novel of On Her Majesty's Secret Service, but mm-hmm. only, uh, but not as Bond's novel, as Bond, the Bond family motto. It was just introduced as the motto of one of his ancestors in the novel, and then in the movie version, they mentioned it being the Bond family motto, and it sort of carried on from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's it. Bookwise, um, there's another good movie novelization by Raymond uh, Benson. It's not. It doesn't add as much de- extra depth um, this time around as the the last movie novelization does. It does add a bit more, mm-hmm. um, 
but uh, again, it's it's worth a read. Um, it does add some some stuff to the story. Um, so I do need to. I probably, I probably won't be referencing it all the time like I did last time. <laughs> I do need to report to our listeners and to you. After you recommended his um, his novel of Tomorrow Never Dies, I found uh, an unabridged Audible version of it that was excellent. And so I listened to it in about three days. It's not that long, obviously. And it was really good. I enjoyed it very much. So I, I, didn't, I didn't even know it existed. So if you got an extra Audible credit, well, if you've got an extra Audible credit, you need to buy Vegas Heist or Hawk. <laughs> But if you've already got those, then go and get Tomorrow Never Dies on Audible because it's a really, really, really fun listen. It was very, very, very entertaining. It's like, it's like it, it, I shouldn't have enjoyed it that much because I had just watched the movie, and yet, like you said, it filled in so many little things and added so many details and was so colorfully done that, that I, I enjoyed following the story over again. And I also enjoyed the things that weren't in it that you could tell were added like when they were filming or added in a later draft of the script, like... Dr. Kaufman is in it, but I don't think he has the funny lines that he has in the movie. Like, one of my yeah. favorite lines in Tomorrow Never Dies is when uh, Bond tells, tells Dr. Kaufman, you know, if you shoot me from over there, it won't look like suicide. And Dr. Kaufman's like, please, Mr. Bond, I could shoot you from Stuttgart and make it look like, you know, I love <laughs> yeah. that. And that, I don't think that was in I don't think that was in it. No, I don't think it was. Actually, just thinking about it and just looking at my bookcase, I think the Brosnan movies are the is the only Bond where every move every movie has a novelization. Oh, because okay. Goldeneye was done by Gardner, mm. and then Tomorrow Never Dies, World's Not Enough, and Die Another Day was done by Raymond Benson. Okay, uh, well, I but I don't that. think I'm just looking scanning my bookcase. I don't think the rest. That was about the only time they were actually doing novelizations of the movies, which mm. I wish they would continue to do. Uh, hint, hint. Um, now I'm going to have to go look and see if there's an audible version of uh, The World is Not Enough. I guess I'll check, that. I'll check on that after the show. Yeah. So, all right. But yes, the, all, all four of the, the Brosnan ones have, have novelizations. And I always enjoy movie novelizations because they, uh, they do good ones tend to add to the enjoyment of, of the overall movie. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. If they're fleshed yeah. out properly, yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, backstory for the movie. Um, this is actually fairly boring uh, <laughs> compared to you know what we've been talking about before with uh, Goldeneye and then all the political stuff with Tomorrow Never Dies. Um, this one was apparently inspired by Barbara Broccoli seeing a uh, being on an airplane and seeing an episode of ABC News Nightline talking about the oil discoveries in Eastern Europe and the reservoirs of oil underneath the Caspian Sea and the fact that it was no longer under Russian control. Therefore, it was an open uh, minefield for the Western oil companies to see who could come out on top. And she sort of said, well, what would happen if a uh, James Bond villain tried to create a monopoly by sort of owning the only pipeline in the region? Um, And that was sort of thrown at the scriptwriters. Um, but Alan, do you know what glorious thing we got because of that oil under the Caspian? Go on. We got the Baku Grand Prix. Well, that's true. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, we did. And it's yeah. worth every drop of that oil, man, because that's a fun, fun race. The that is true. We did yes. get the Baku Grand Prix. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, when you think about the plot here, the plot here is, is actually pretty much recycling Goldfinger. Um, you know, it's yeah. Except in a lot, except a lot more confusing. 
<laughs> it's a lot more confusing. Yeah, <sighs> uh, I, I don't, I, well, a lot of people say they they, they find it confusing, and uh, it, you know, the, the cast found it confusing. But I, I think it's pretty straightforward. Myself, I mean, you know, let, uh, I'm going to explode a you know a nuclear device and to, to uh, you know kill lots of people and make my access to the to a particularly rare resource the only one in the world and therefore i'm going to become really really rich and powerful and it's mm. pretty much it's the same as goldfinger really yeah it is when you describe it that way but the way they describe it in the movie is way more complicated than that you're right it's just they don't pare it down like that it's it i mean i've watched the movie a dozen times over the years and i've never fully i mean i know that this is going on and that's going on and they're over here and they're over there but i it just Every time I think I got a handle on it, they throw in some new twist, and you know, oh wait, she's but it's, there's a twist here. Oh, but she's this. Oh, but they're doing this. Oh, they're gonna kill Q. I mean M. You know, oh they're gonna. You know, I I just I just kind of sit back and go with it because I I just honestly have no idea usually what's going on in this movie. And then there's a submarine. Oh wait, Robert Carlyle's doing stuff, and it just it's, I think it's just there's so many moving parts that even though the 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 basic plot is fairly simple, there. It, <sighs> There's so many moving parts to it that it, you can't keep your eye on it fairly well. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I, I think that's a, a Purvis and Wade um, thing that's sort of carried on of them mm. sort of layering stuff on you know, things on top of things on top of things instead of yeah keeping it basic. This was the first uh, one that Purvis and Wade worked on. Um, um, so, well, like Tomorrow Never Dies was very straightforward. You know, he runs a newspaper. He's going to start a war so he can cover it and make money yeah and and that that was it and you just followed bond and waylin trying to work together to stop it and that's pretty much it and they they deal with different menaces all the way up to the final boss you know like a video game whereas this thing is just back and forth and round and round and i just get dizzy so yeah i, I think that's what we're missing yeah you know i've always said i'd like to you know get back to bond walking into m's office being given a folder and saying He's yeah, the bad guy. He's trying to do X. Go stop him. Go stop That's him. That's all we need to know. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. work your work your way up the levels like a video game to the final boss and take him out. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a yeah. solid Bond movie. Yeah, yeah. so there you go. So, well, uh, which I don't think we're going to get in April, but <laughs> that's a whole other conversation. So. Yep. Um, so this one was uh, back to filming at Pinewood for this one, uh, which is good. And we saw another mm-hmm. budget increase. Um, yeah, not so huge this time percentage wise, but paid off one, though. Got it. Got a jump from one hundred and ten million to one hundred and thirty million. So, um, but it, uh, it, it did quite well though, so it paid off. It did, and it was actually the highest-grossing Bond movie of the twentieth century. Wow! Not sneaking, adjust- in by, sneaking into the end of the twentieth century by one month. By one month, yeah. Not a, <laughs> not adjusted for inflation, of course. I not think, adjusted for inflation. It, no. I think That's Thunderball just, adjusted for inflation still is number one, right? Yeah, I think so, yeah. But just in terms of raw, raw dollar numbers, yes, yeah. this was the, the highest grossing one of the 20th century. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's actually pretty much all the notes I had about the sort of background to the movie. So, uh, yeah, not a whole lot about about this one going on. I mean, they brought back Brosnan and, and seemed uh, to be very happy with him. And like you say, the movie made a lot of money, uh, made a lot of money and so they definitely were going to have him for a fourth one. It kind of shocked me that after the fourth one, they decided they didn't want to have him back. We'll talk about that obviously next month. But, but, uh, but for right now, the relationship seemed to be going very well between uh, him and and Eon. So uh, everybody yeah. was happy. What did you? Yeah. What did now? Okay. What did you think about 
the the two Bond girls in this one, the two main ones, because uh, we're on we'll opposite get, ends of the spectrum between those two, aren't we? Yeah, we'll get to them as as we <laughs> okay. talk through the movie. But but, right. but yes, they that you couldn't get two more diametrically opposed. <laughs> Bond girls, characters, and actresses. <laughs> right. Yes. So. All right. Where should we go first? As the countdown begins to the 21st century, it's good to know there is still one number you can always count on. Bond. Bond. Can't you just say hello like a normal person? Renard is behind this. He will die along with everyone in the city. We do not negotiate with terrorists. His only goal is chaos. I sent 009 to kill Renard. He put a bullet in his head. That bullet's still there. He feels no pain. He can push himself harder, longer than any normal man. No hard feelings, Mr. Bond. It appears that you have been beaten. Don't make this personal. I can't do that. I just can't help thinking I'm next. New model. In the very latest in interception countermeasures. And six beverage cup holders. I've always tried to teach you two things. First, never let them see you bleed. And the second? Always have an escape plan. For the world's greatest secret agent. You've just hundreds of these, right? When the stakes are high. Yeah, but they're usually standing still. Life's full of small challenges. And the danger hits too close to home. He has M. By noon tomorrow, you'll feel nothing at all. I thought it was your job to protect me. It's not just professional. Someone's tampered with the bomb. It's personal. I have to get it back or somebody's going to have my butt. First things first. I'm going to find him. Who's afraid now, Mr. Bond? I will not miss. I never miss. Do you want to put that in English for those of us who don't speak spy? Why am I suddenly worried I'm not carrying enough insurance? Your time is up. Not enough. Uh, well, let's start with a gun barrel. All right. I wasn't thrilled with the music this time. It was a little weird. Yeah, they, I, it was David Arnold again, but it was, I don't know, the, the gun barrel was a little more funky. This, uh, that's a very mm-hmm. musical term for me there. Uh, yes. A little more funky time around. I don't quite know what they did. Um, but, uh, it, yeah, it, it didn't... Didn't, wasn't as good as the last one. So. No, I didn't think so. I think the last yeah. one was like the best one so far. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, and then we get uh, the first half of the longest fo- pre-credit sequence, 14-minute pre-credit sequence. But it's so good. Uh, it's so long. It's like its own little... It's, well, you know, right, that, and I'm sure you were about to say this, so I'll just say it so I'll have something intelligent to say, is that they, they were going to stop it at the explosion, and then they said, ah, oh, let's just keep it going till the very end of the scene. And so you get like the first 15 minutes of the actual movie before the credits. It's, it's, you know, it's, I would I'd put it this way. It's, it's been described as the longest pre-title sequence, but really it's not even, it, I think it goes beyond a pre-title sequence. It's basically just the first part of the movie. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I thought I'd read that they were actually going to stop it. Or well, the originally was that was the leap out of the window in Spain was sort of the end of it, and then they were going to do it. Well, maybe oh, it was okay. the explosion. Uh, maybe it was the explosion. But you're right. They they sort of did. They they pulled 
pulled what was going to be the opening part of the movie forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we get this nice long 40 minute uh, sort of two sequences together. So uh, we get uh, Bond arriving at the Swiss office in Bilbao. Um, trying to buy back a report and again i think this this is part of where they start confusing the plot yes. right out of the gate i have you no know. clue i still again i have no clue what he's doing in that <laughs> office with sis bankers I, I it's a great scene i love the thing with the body and he jumps out the window it's great i have no idea why who what nothing no clue well the thing is he goes in talking about you know he's trying to buy back this report that um why he's buying it back again he's explained in the novelization um <laughs> Okay, but uh, you know he's trying See to do the that. But then he starts, ask, starts asking about a, uh, you know, a, another uh, agent who was killed. That's never ever mentioned again. You know, Bond's like, I don't care about the money. I don't care about the report. I just want to know who killed this guy, and it's never ever mentioned again. I assume we're, me- we're meant to think it's Renard killed the other agent, but who that agent was, why he was important. Was it Double um, O Nine? Maybe. I, I don't know. N- never mentioned again. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, but you're right. I, later, in 009 is mentioned as shooting him in the head, right? Right. Yeah, but, but I, not but, 009's fate. So I don't know if that was maybe exactly. 009 or what. Yeah, yeah, it's just weird, huh? Yeah, um, but that whole sequence is great, um, irrespective of why he's there. I love the uh, the trick with the glasses and the and the magnesium flare on the gun. Uh-huh. Um, Bond turning the table. Like I say, the one thing I don't like is the. The double taken in innuendo with the cigar girl, who, by the way, I said I wasn't going to do this, but I am. In the novelization, has a name, has a backstory. You understand her connection with Renard, and it makes a lot more sense why she acts the way she does. Interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, I love the whole uh, the, the gunfight in the office. Uh, Brosnan looking looks particularly mean, I think, when he turns the tables and grabs the other guy's gun and sort of just gives that backwards look. Uh-huh. Um, um, and then we find, you know, the cigar girl killing the banker with a knife thrown to the back of the neck. That's a nice twist surprise. Um, and, and then we get to, as you say, the the trick with the blind pull where he takes the blind pull and ties it to the henchman and jumps out the window and basically uses the guy as a brake. Um, <laughs> so he's great. Wait, are you telling is, me that the that the you say cigar girl? I thought it was like a banker girl that he says something about her figures are rounded or something. Yeah, yeah, but she's she's the she's the girl on the boat. Oh, okay. No, I didn't even realize she's, that. See, she's a, she's an assassin. That's why she's called Cigar Girl because she's the one that gives him the cigar at the beginning. So, okay. See, I didn't. None of this register. Again, I've seen this movie a dozen times and I had no idea. So there you go. Yeah. Wow. I feel stupid, but I, I, no, it's okay. <laughs> a, again, I, I, why would I have thought that the person that sh- stabs a knife in the back of the guy's neck is the same person that was that was earlier like not laughing at Bond's attempt at humor and being giving him an ugly look for no apparent reason, which I didn't understand. Yeah, because you, you see the knife, and then when he goes goes out to chase whoever through the knife, you see the girl running up the... Oh, yeah, but I didn't know where she came from, and I didn't know it was the same one that had just... Oh, okay, the, yeah. I had no idea. I thought she just, oh, there's just some girl... And I mean, no. there's also like somebody shooting at him, which I guess later turns out to be Renard, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And Renard is the sniper. See yeah. again, again, the, the very first scene in the movie, as cool as it is, I have no idea what's going on. There's just so many moving parts here. Right. It's just okay. I I, I wasn't trying to be critical. I like no, this no, no. movie. I like this movie a lot. And and as I said, it's Brosnan. I I just want to say up front before any listeners think I'm just you know crapping on this movie. I love this movie. Again, it's number 14, but there's 13 really good ones ahead of it. It's really good. It's just that 
the more I try to understand it and the more Alan tries to explain it to me, the more confused I actually get <laughs> because I realize I even understood it even less than I thought I did. <laughs> okay. Maybe it's on. just the way I'm trying to explain no, it. No, no. Um, you're, you're helping me. You're just, it just makes me feel even dumber because I'm like, well, I should have known that, I guess. But, you know. Yeah, so I, I guess we find out later that, uh, you know, R Renard's the unseen sniper because he wants to make sure that Bond escapes with the money so he can take the money back to MI6 so that, it, you know, because it's a bomb. Um, Never got that. So, yeah. Okay. So, well, I guess I needed to see it more than 12 times. Okay. <laughs> wow. So, so we, we get that whole sequence in Babat, which I think is, is pretty cool. Uh, you know, the, uh, Brosnan's, you know, jumping out the window with the... I, I assume that rope is something to do with the blind by the window, but why you would have a pull for a Venetian blind that's apparently about 40 <laughs> feet long, I don't know. But yes, It was, it was. Yeah, yeah. so unless it's not a blind pull and somebody can tell me what it is, but that's what it looked like to me. That's what it looked like. Um, yeah. Um, and then we can switch to MI6 uh, um, and we get the Bond and Money Penny innuendo with a cigar tube. Oh, I love that. Yeah, which is actually pretty cool. Yeah, so I, it's very clever. I mean, I love in the in the previous movie, I loved the don't ask, don't tell. That was great with him, and and this time you get, and, and again, this is back in the Clinton era, and we just had the whole cigar thing, you know. So with Monica Lewinsky, so we get the whole, you know, I brought you something back, and I, I know just what to do with this, and he's like, oh yeah, and she throws it in the trash can, and uh -huh. and he says that great line, you know. Oh, it's the story of our relationship, Money Penny. Close, but no cigar. I just that's yeah. that's great. That's brilliant. That's it brilliant. is. It's very good. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Um, and then we get the intro of Robert King mm -hmm. hanging out in M's office um, and that relationship there. So I think that's pretty good because that sort of already sets up the the fact that M has mm -hmm. is going to have a. a personal conflict of interest later yes. on so i think that, that that that's setting the ground for that personal connection nicely. yes absolutely. yeah yeah um the, and then we get the whole thing with bond spotting the chemical reaction um mm -hmm. on his hands from that's the, pretty cool uh, pretty cool took me a few a few goes round to figure that one out even though they do explain it later on bill tanner actually does a whole bunch of exposition about what bond spotted but uh took me a couple of goes to get that uh, so. Let me let me ask you something. Isn't is this a different Tanner? I thought that Rory Kinnear was Tanner, but that doesn't look like Rory Kinnear to me. No, Rory Kinnear is the Tanner of the Daniel Craig era. Oh, okay. I didn't. That's what confused me. Okay, this never mind. is the same guy who played Tanner in Goldeneye, but wasn't available for Tomorrow Never Dies. So they introduced Robinson, and now in this one, you both yeah. have Tanner and Robinson. Both of them, right? Okay. All right. Carry yeah. on. That's fine. Yeah. Now yeah. I get it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um. Where was it? Oh yeah. So we get we get um, him spotting the the chemical reaction and stuff, mm -hmm. and realizing it's a trap. And this is when he runs through. Um, yeah. And we first get the view of the Q boat with with um, <laughs> Q working on it. And this is this is a very personal moment for me, uh -huh. because in that shot, Q is holding a blue laptop which is plugged into the Q boat, like he is. Yep. Programming the Cubo. My first thing that I ever worked on when I joined the Inflaming Foundation was that laptop. Oh. Which, which is actually two pieces of wood hinged together. It's a prop. It's just a wooden prop um, made up to look like a Toshiba laptop. Um, and uh, it had a key keyboard and graphics and everything. And 
trackpad on it all, but it was all made out of wood and stuff. Um, and it it was just in a terrible state. So uh, I took it home and I completely refurbished it and stuff. So that's my my that was my first. Um, wow. renovation job for the Inflaming Foundation was that little laptop. So every time I see it on screen, I'm like, that's my laptop. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> that's so cool. Where did you get it from? And where did it come? How did uh, it, it, come it, was, it was, we got it with the Q-boat, so which I'm going to get to. We actually also have um, one of the Q-boats. So. Is it intact or is it the one that got blown no, up? No, no, no. No, no. It's, we, we used to have two because um, there is the Q-boat, which is the boat, and there was a Q-boat, which was the one that went on the on the street, which actually had road wheels underneath. Oh, okay. Um, and that's another Roger Moore moment there, by the way. Yeah, it is. Um, and that one was exchanged for something for something else, but we still have the one that is a boat. And it is a boat, and it works like a boat, and you can get in it and stuff. And we've been renovating it for, for a while on and off. So, uh, yes, awesome. it's, I have pictures of me sat, sat in the Q-boat. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. That's excellent. Outstanding. Yeah. So... Uh, yeah, so we get Bond running past the uh, past the the Q boat, but he doesn't computer. quite make the room in time, and then we get the money being uh, triggered by King's lapel pin, mm-hmm. um, and we get the explosion. Um, what I don't never understood is why the exit, and he decides to give. Sorry, Bond runs. If I remember rightly, Bond runs to the side of the explosion, sees the red dots on his jacket, pulls back, and we see the cigar girl in the boat on the Thames, and she opens fire. Um, he decides to chase her, grabs the Q-boat. Why is the exit ramp for the Q-boat 60 feet in the air above the water? <laughs> Wouldn't it? <laughs> if, if, you're building a, if you're building something, a dock with a boat in it with an exit, wouldn't the exit, wouldn't you do it so it was actually at water level? That wouldn't be as dramatic, though. It would not be as dramatic, but... <laughs> it's, it's all so psychological. Why do they have, have a whole... Why do they have a hole in the side of the MI6 building 60 feet up? You can shoot a boat through. Well, they've got two now. (laughs) Yeah. But it looks looks cool. It does. looks awesome. I have wondered that too, though. But yeah, maybe it's psychological to make your, to put fear into the hearts of your enemies because the boat comes flying out like a rocket or something. I don't know. But yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a good one. And I will will say the the resulting uh, chase on the Thames uh, looked really cool. It's great. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Particularly as they couldn't go above whatever the speed was, like nine miles an hour or something on the, <laughs> on the Thames. Um, but it looks it looks very cool. Um, there's only really one bad CGI moment with the uh, aerial shot of the torpedoes tracking the girls' boat. But um, other than that, it it looks uh, it looks very cool. It's well done. I think it goes on a little too long, and I think the the Q boat going across the street uh, yeah. on land thing is yeah just that. I wish they'd have just kept it in the water all the time. Um, yeah, you could cut but, that little bit out and be fine. I mean, it, it does do some crazy stuff where it goes through houses and goes through restaurants and stuff. But again, that's very Roger Moore, and um, right. I could have done without that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I the the, the the boat itself with the spiral jumps and stuff is uh, very beautifully done. Very cool. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And get to the Millennium Dome and the balloon. Right, yeah, and then the fall, um, and the, the stuntman missing the uh, the wire and injuring his shoulder, which they then mo- put into the movie. So, oh, was, really? Yeah, I didn't know that was a real deal. Okay, and it certainly played a part in the rest of the movie. It kept coming back up. Yeah, um, so. is the Millennium Dome still there? 
Yes, though it's called the O2 now, I oh, think. Oh, that's the O2. Oh, okay. I knew about that. I just didn't know they changed the name to that. Okay, well, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. O2's a, 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 a mobile phone network, so it's, it's one of these naming sponsorship that's deals. Where, that's where Led Zeppelin played a few years ago. I have the video of that, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. All right. Neat. Um, well, that takes mean, us to the title sequence. Mean, which takes us to the opening, yeah. I was going to go on a Led Zeppelin thing there, but we oh. won't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, which takes us to the opening credits. Um, girls covered in oil. Yeah. I mean, it's again, it's better than where we were in the 80s, but... Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, at least it fits the theme of the movie a bit more this time. Yeah. Um, That's okay. Not horrible, yeah. not great. Just kind of right in the middle, I guess. Yeah. And the song by Garbage... Uh, I mean, I can listen to it, but... I love it. I think that Tomorrow Never Dies and The World's Not Enough are two of my favorite Bond songs. I love them yeah. both. I love them both. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. Love them both. Okay. We may agree on the movie, but not so much on the theme song. <laughs> love them both. Well, there was a... If you if you listen to um, Tomorrow Never Dies episode of our sister show with Jared and, and company... Um, they had an interesting little debate about the theme song for Tomorrow Never Dies where some of them really liked it and some of them really did not. So that was a very fun listen. So if you haven't checked out uh, the um, the Rookie Agent show on our last movie, then check that one out because it's pretty fun to hear them bickering over <laughs> over how good that song <laughs> is versus the Katie Lang song, and we talked about that. So Yeah, see, I prefer the Katie Lang song, so I was in that camp. So. So maybe they'll have a similar uh, similar discussion for this one. Yeah, yeah. So uh, where where we come? I don't even remember offhand. Where do we come back from the from the credits? <coughs> oh. Excuse me. Um, so we open up very briefly on the funeral, where we yes. first see Electra King. That's um, right. And Bond has his um, sling on on the wrong arm, by the way. <laughs> I love it. Um, I never would have noticed that in a million years. I think he has it on his left arm. Uh, I'm trying to think. Continuity. He, it on his right, he has it on his right arm, but he's injured on his left shoulder, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I think he's injured on his left shoulder because every time they like mess with him later, it's always his left shoulder that they're Shoulder, yeah. And I think he's got or, the sling on his right arm. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, very briefly that, and then we get to the uh, MI6 offices in Scotland. Oh, uh, this is awesome. Alan, this is so cool. It's like the castle from Outlander, and, they, and there's MI6. You know, we've, it's been a while. Remember, back, does, you know, back in the Roger Moore era, they'd go random places, and there would be MI6, you know. But this one makes a bit more sense. It uh, does. And again, Raymond does a great job in the novelization, actually gives a backstory to the castle and how MI6 ended up owning the castle. Nice. Like, nice. Um, so it, it makes a bit more sense, and it seems a lot less random than the, uh, you know, mm-hmm. in the pyramids or wherever. <laughs> it's the Queen Elizabeth, yeah. <laughs> or, yeah, or on a sunken liner or whatever. So That's um, <laughs> great. But I do still love it anyway. Yeah, it's great. So we get... Um, we get Bill Tanner back, as we mentioned, and he gives a briefing on how the bomb was made and why bomb noticed it and all that stuff. Um, the one that gets me here is uh, we get that, that line of agents sitting around and stood around Bond while they're doing the briefing, um, and they're giving out all the folders, and Bond doesn't get one. Who are the other agents? Are they other double O's? I don't or know. Are they just, just 
just other active agents, but uh, it just sort of reminded me a bit of the sort of the Thunderball briefing yeah. scene where we had all the double O's. Yes. You know, it sat in that line of chairs, so whether it was a bit of a callback to that or not, but it, it definitely reminded me of that. So. Yes. Um, so if it was double O's, then there was a female double O sat on Bond's right. Oh, so again, another movie with a female double O. Yeah, um, interesting. So. Did Was that a portrait of Bernard Lee's M on the wall or that something else? Oh. You're reading my notes ahead of me, but yes. Was it? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I had it for slightly later on, but yes, at, at one point it, it, there you, when M gets up, I think it's more in the scene where it's just M and Bond on their own later, um, and M gets up and walks around, you can see a portrait of uh, Bernard Lee as, as M on the, uh, on the wall behind her. Excellent. Which oh. they are doing in Bond 25, sorry, no time to die, um, with uh, a portrait of Judy Dench as M, Nice, very good. Uh, in one of the scenes, so because we've already seen some on-set photos of that, so that's cool. So they're keeping that tradition going, which is nice. Yes. So, um, so we get Bond doing the uh, seducing uh, our token sexist named female character, um, Doctor Molly Warmflash. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's it's hard to top some we've had in the past, but this one I don't know if this is the worst, but this is up there. That name. Yeah, I like her though. I like the doctor a lot, and I like this scene a lot. Yeah, and I also like the again the innuendo and the double play between her and Money Penny mm-hmm. later on. Oh so. yeah, absolutely. You don't get enough of that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we were into Q's lab, um, where we get Q being annoyed at the state of the Q boat. Um, yeah. So I actually I'm gonna think I because of doing the renovation of the Q laptop. I actually have files of all the graphic files that you see on the various monitors throughout the Q lab, like oh, the the boats and the graph, the um, schematics for the BMW and stuff like that. So, oh, man. Um, after this episode goes live, I'm gonna share some of those on the James Bond Lexicon Instagram account, so folks can see those. Very so. nice. I was gonna ask you this though, when you talk about Q. So when yeah. when Bond grabs the boat and takes off in it earlier, Q yeah. yells, "It's not finished yet, or it's not ready yet." And I fully expected that to be setting up where something was going to malfunction or whatever, and it never happened. The boat seemed to be fine, so yeah, that never went anywhere, did it? No, it didn't. No. Okay, okay. I was making sure I didn't miss something there. Yeah, it seemed finished to uh, me. Sorry, it seemed like it was finished to me. Yeah. Yeah, and it did it. You seemed to do everything it was meant to do. All the buttons worked. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and then we get to me what is one of the low points in the series: the oh, introduction dear. of John Cleese as our. Um, I don't know. I, I love John Cleese um, in most things, but here it just seems stunt casting and the forced humor and slapstick is just completely out of place for me. Um, yeah, it didn't work great. And and he's um is he back in the next one? He's in uh, Die Another Day, yeah. Yeah, and then that's the only other one, right? I mean, by the after yeah. that, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's gone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I I yeah, it's just I mean, I get the get the the idea that, you know, Desmond Llewellyn was getting on even though he was planning to come back for the next one. Um, but this was um, I don't know. It just did not sit right with me at all I, it, 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 
it still takes me out of the out of the movie because it's like, oh look, it's John Cleese, ha ha ha, and he's being funny. Ha, yeah, ha, ha. It, you're right. It does kind of. I, I like it okay. I, I agree. I do like John Cleese, and I and I think he does he, he does give it kind of a, a a good college try, as they say. But yeah, I mean, I see what you mean. Yeah. So personal thing, it. it just doesn't doesn't fit with me. Uh, uh, and but I what I do like is the scene immediately afterwards the between Bond and Q when he starts talking about the oh, retirement and he yes. starts and he gives his pay attention 007 speech I've you know I've always tried to uh, teach you two things um, to me that's one of my f- favorite exchanges in the whole of the Bond franchise between Q and 007 actually um, I, I you know but if you ask me what two things had Q always been trying to teach Bond I'd have said one of them was don't touch my stuff Right. And two was pay attention. Yeah. yeah. I, don't let them see you bleed it's a gra- is not one I would have come up with. Yeah. There, there are great lines that, it, it, you know, it's two really good lessons. Never let them see you bleed and always have an escape plan. But it doesn't reflect the previous Any, anything. movie in any way. No, no. It's great in itself. It just, yeah. If you've watched yeah, the movie, stand- you're like... As a standalone exchange, it's really, really good. But yes. when you think back to it, it's like, well, you never said any of those in the previous 18 movies. No, not a single um, time, no. Yeah. Well, so, well. Uh, and of course, the, the, you know, the, the, the tragic thing is that, uh, you know, Desmond Llewellyn died in a car accident just one month after the just movie right was released. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So it sort of gives it an added poignancy that, you know, that was his, his final scene. But so. you know what? I'm glad that it's obviously horribly tragic. It played out that way, but if it had to happen that way, I'm glad that he did get to do a farewell as opposed to just another you know scene and then he never is seen again. Yeah, yeah, me too. I'm glad he. I'm glad he got that 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 exit scene. Yes, um, exactly. So yeah, yeah. Um, and we get Bond reviewing the Electric King kidnapping files and suddenly realizing that. Uh, the ransom note is the same. The, the receipt for the money for the mm-hmm. report is the same as the ransom. That was a bit of a stretch. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah. Um, and suddenly it's like, oh, it's Renard. He's back. And then we get the whole exposition on uh, Renard via the holographic projection. It's very heavy exposition heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're actually. There are parts of this movie I love, and there's parts of this movie that I just about tune out because it just gets to dragging a little bit. Right. Uh, and we said, you know, the interesting thing about the, the whole setup with Renard is basically it's Stamper's story from the last yes. movie that they never used. That's right. Um, uh, or didn't build on, um, and then they used it in this one. But it it's so similar that, uh, you know, it's not a great leap of logic to see that connection even without having it spelled out for you. So. Right. And, and let me say this. I love Robert Carlyle. I mean, you know, my favorite probably Stargate is Stargate Universe. And he's the, the – if Stargate Universe was lost in space, he's basically Dr. Smith, the guy that's kind of a hero but kind of a villain at the same time, you know. Uh-huh. And um, he's great in that. And when I saw this movie in 99, I'd never heard of Robert Carlyle, and I found him completely boring. I didn't like him at all. I thought, I think that Sophie Marceau is a great villain in this movie, but I thought that Robert Carlyle is just a, a, a vacuum that sucks all the energy out of the movie. I didn't find him interesting at all. 
And I found the whole he can't feel pain thing to be kind of redundant. If, even if they hadn't done the exact thing before, it just seems like something James Bond has dealt with 17 times before. Oh, an enemy that can't feel pain when he, you know, when you hit him or something. I That just didn't seem original to me. And so I just didn't care for him at all. And I got to tell you, now that I can really appreciate Robert Carlyle and I enjoy him in other things, I go back and watch this movie and I still don't like Renard at all. He's still utterly boring to me. I am with you 100%. I'm not a Stargate guy, but Robert Carlyle for me is the guy from The Full Monty. Um, You know, that's where I first um, got to know him. Um, And, you know, which was a comic, you know, serious, dramatic comic comic role. He's a great actor. I've seen him in lots of other stuff. Really like him as an actor. Totally miscast here. And the character as written or played is just one of the most boring villains. Uh, No sense of menace. No. No no on-screen presence. He looks Um, like he's half asleep most of the time. Which I I think that was a choice. I mean, I think he makes choices to make the character interesting. And in another context, that might have been very effective. But in this particular role in this movie, where everything else is movement, movement, flashbang, excitement, he's just kind of a dead spot in it. Yep. Yeah, okay. it, it is. It just sucks anything off the off, off the air when he's on. And yeah. We haven't even seen him yet. We're talking about him and we're only seeing the, the holographic projection. That's but. all it took. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's about that's about as uh, deep as the character gets. It I think. is. I'm um, afraid. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we get Bond assigned to go protect Electra King, and under the uh, and he arrives saying he's from Universal Exports. Um, so uh, we get uh, the first appear, well, the second appearance of Electra, but really the first real appearance here of her character, um, which is you know interesting because it sort of sets her up as uh, um, you know appeasing the villagers. She comes across as you know being altruistic and empathic, and you know, mm, yeah. Bond sees Bond sees her as a former victim, and you know she's not a capitalist. She's you know she'll she'll do things for the the greater good. So she comes over, you know, in this part as 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 being the you know somebody that you really want to root for. Um, mm-hmm. So um, they're, they're setting us up for the big twist. In other words, they are, but I think it's really well done here. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, I have a side note here. Again, this is, uh, I don't, you probably didn't notice it, but uh, the, there is uh, product placement all over the scene for Caterpillar, the construction company, <laughs> construction equipment company I used to work for. Oh. Um, and uh, all the construction work, workers are wearing Caterpillar hats, it's Caterpillar generators, Caterpillar machines, blah, blah, blah. Um, when I arrived at Caterpillar, I tried to. Um, find where any of this stuff was but unfortunately it had all been either trashed or given away so it was a real real shame couldn't track down any of the uh, the world is not enough cat stuff oh, but, man. Um, but I, I I can't watch that scene without just seeing all those yellow hats with the cat logo on it it's yeah. just I find it very distracting because my my eyes just zoom into it um, probably doesn't bother anybody else but um, I also like here we get the uh, the exchange with Electra and she asked Bond, have you, have you ever lost a loved one, Mr. Bond? And there is that momentary beat of lack of response and he changes the subject. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was a reference to Tracy. Um, yeah. But I actually read somewhere recently that that was actually intended to be a reference back to Paris Carver, which doesn't really resonate. No, that's, I mean, she kind of like 
did her thing and disappeared and right. was about as gone as she was before she ever appeared. I mean, right, yeah. But yeah. so I'm still taking it as a reference to Tracy, and that's yeah. why it doesn't answer because then it just makes it. And that way, every bo- every Bond has had a Tracy reference. Yeah. In, look, my default is anytime Bond is wistful about the past, it's Tracy. I mean, yeah. now nowadays you could maybe say he's thinking about. Um, uh, what's her name? Eva Green. <laughs> oh, but, Vesper. Yeah, Vesper. But uh, you know, but it's got to be Tracy. That's just the default. If he's if he's sad, it's Tracy. Yeah, but that way they both. You know, all all of that. It, the, the first run Bonds have had had a Tracy reference in one of the movies. So I'm going to take it as that. But, yeah, so, yeah. Um, and then we get the uh, the whole again a bit more exposition heavy explanation about the pipelines and blah blah blah. So, yeah, whatever. Again, clueless. Yeah. Um, but that leads into, for me, one of my favorite parts of this movie. Wait, wait, is, is this where we first see the helicopter? Oh, actually, yeah, when he's driving. You're right, when he's driving to yeah. where the work is, you get to, you get to see the helicopter with the, uh, the, the blades cutting <laughs> and, through the trees. And you've got yeah. to, I mean, the first time I saw this, I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I mean, it's <laughs> yeah, just it's like, so obvious. <laughs> this is, this yeah. is the old reverse... Uh, Tchaikovsky thing, right? Where it's like, yeah. if um, or whatever I'm trying to say, the the Russian writer that said it. Where is it Chekhov? If you see a, gu- a gun, Chekhov, on, on yeah, the, yeah. If you see a gun on the mantelpiece, it needs to be used by the third act. And, and and the the counter to that is, if you're going to use a gun in the third act, you need to show it, yeah, on the wall in the first act. And here they're just showing it to us so that it's not out of nowhere later. Yeah, yeah, you could, it almost needs a big label that says, you will see this later. <laughs> he doesn't need that label, though. That's the problem. <laughs> but yeah, no, it is a pretty cool, it's a pretty cool deal. I like it. It it's, is, it's it is. I, I, read, read, I think I read that that was actually originally going to be used in one of the other movies. No. By the GoldenEye or Tomorrow Never Dies. Um, it was, it was a, ga- you know, a thing that they found mm. when they were looking, looking for, you know, more, other ways to, you know, other lethal yeah. things that we can throw at Bond. Um in, and they were going to use it in one of the earlier movies, but they couldn't fit it into the script, so it ended up in this one. So, still cool, still cool. More, more Brosnan versus helicopter action. We get that a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it has to be a helicopter in every Bond movie. Yeah. Um, so, talking of helicopters, so Bond and Electra get in the helicopter and go up to the top of the mountain mm-hmm. and jump out of the helicopter because it can't land. Um, and they they're off skiing, and we get Bond on skis again. Great! Yes. I'd love seeing Bond on skis. Yes, um, that's one of the handful of environments you really like to see Bond in every few movies. Yeah. So, um, and it's a very cool uh, sequence with the with the Parahawk attacks, um, and and Bond sort of out, outwitting the Parahawks. Oh, by the way, another Ian Fleming Foundation moment. We have three Parahawks. Oh, of course you do. <laughs> yeah, of course we do. There are actually two different types. Um, there's one for the airborne shots, uh-huh. um, and one with because the because it was meant to be have a like a snowmobile engine underneath it for when it lands and they can use it on the snow. If you actually had the engine in it, it's too heavy for the parachute. That's what I was uh, thinking. So the, uh, the 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 airborne ones actually have a fiberglass dummy engine in them, and we have two of those. And then we have one of the land ones that actually has a an actual snowmobile engine. In That's it. cool. So. Um, so yeah, those. Uh, so we get the power hooks. They're, they're pretty cool. Uh, and I, I understand that, that that was a vehicle that was designed just for the movie. It wasn't an existing thing. I'd never heard um, of it. That's for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah. So cool. Um, cool. And then we get the um, the ski jacket igloo thing when they get caught in the avalanche, and Bond pulls the ski jacket and it sort of inflates around them. And um, we had and we had seen it earlier. And we've seen it earlier with John Cleese. So, um, so we knew. The that interesting thing is, we get the we get uh, Electra's like uh, panic attack, which seems to indicate that she has claustrophobia. Mm-hmm. Never talked about again. Never picked up or before. Or before, yeah. I, I was assuming it had something to do with her kidnapping or something, but it doesn't really track exactly. I was very confused by that, yeah. Yeah, I assumed it was something to do with the kidnapping that, she, you know, at some point it had been revealed she'd been kept in a small and yeah. close, but yeah, but but it's never mentioned again. No. So, uh, yeah. So. There we go. Uh-uh. And then we get, uh, we move to your favorite Grand Prix destination, Baku. Yes. So, uh, and uh, then we get to uh, Valentin's Casino, if I remember rightly, from here. Now, see, this is how you do a Bond. Is, is he a Bond ally? I guess he's kind of a reluctant Bond ally. He's about as reluctant of a Bond ally as you get in any of these movies, right? I mean, he's 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 kind of in the same category as a as a as a Karen Bay or a Tiger Tanaka or the the big idiot from the last two movies. But Bond really has to basically twist his arm to get him to do anything. Yeah, well, I think he falls under the uh, what the the lovable rogue. Yeah, sort of. that's yeah. Um, yeah. Which there hasn't really been in the Bond movie because most of the allies have worked for another organization yeah. in some way or other. Um, there's not really been anybody who's sort of on the on the wrong side of the law but still helpful I don't think uh, which I think is one of the things that makes Valentin quite um, unique and uh, a great character I wish they'd used him in more than two movies um, yeah and, and Coltrane is really good I mean he, he, he is yeah he, he just he really does kind of chew the scenery and relish the he, in, in the same way that like a John Rhys Davies would you know he, he, he kind of he commands the screen and is enjoyable to watch yeah yeah I, very much yeah. so yeah I like him a lot um, and, oh, oh, oh! And I wanted to mention the henchman in this movie. I I wanted to make sure I got this in. The henchmen in this movie that work for Electra and and I guess for Constantine, um, they are so obviously bad that they kind of telegraph the twist coming. Because if if you're watching this movie and you're thinking these are supposed to be the henchmen for the good people, then it's kind of like these are pretty bad, good henchmen, you know? I mean, I did you not always get the sense that the big sort of Polynesian guy and the guy with the gold, played by, I think, Goldie, did you ever get the sense that they were going to be good? No, uh, not really. I mean, the Polynesian guy, I forgot his name, but he, he hardly, I mean, he doesn't say anything, does he? And he doesn't really do much. Um, he just kind of lurks in the background all the time. Yeah, yeah. But he never seems like a henchman a good person would have. They they all seem shady and nasty. And so when the, right. when the when the big twist comes, you might be surprised about Electra, but are you really surprised about any of the rest of them? I was not really. I mean, Mister Bullion is, is 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 sort of a, a bit of a comic relief character, but you know anybody that's obviously that money grabbing is obviously going to be under yeah. somebody's pay. So exactly. Yeah. 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 So, um, we're in Valentine's casino. We get bond with the, his X-ray specs. Classes. Yes. Great. Off scene. the back, of, off the back of his favorite comic book. Um, <laughs> I love it. 
So that's pretty cool. I like I like the extra. I, I actually like the the, uh, the thing where he pins the uh, the henchman's tie to the uh, to the bar with his yes. knife and then knocks his feet out from under him. So he's sort of being strangled by his own tie. I think that's, <laughs> that's really cool. good. Yeah, I do yeah. like that a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then we get to the intro to Mr. Bullion we just mentioned, and the, and we sort of get to meet Valentine again. Um, and then Electra turns up, and we get the uh, the single card payoff uh, of. Uh, Million dollars, the million dollars, yeah, uh, which obviously is the payoff for the submarine later, but uh, we don't know that at the time. Oh, uh, yeah. Hey, I, I did want to mention by the way, when he pins a guy's tie to the bar, I love he immediately pulls it, he's already seen the guy's gun with his x ray glasses, so he pulls yeah. the gun out and just hands it to the bartender. And the bartender kind of like takes it and looks at it with his eyes wide and just turns around and walks off with it. And I'm like, yeah, I've yeah. always wondered, what is the bartender doing with the gun? I don't know. I mean, what's he yeah. gonna do? Is I, he gonna I just like the, the way after he's uh, sort of. Got got the guy struggling struggling with his tie, and Bond just picks up the vodka martini and takes a sip as well. I think. Yes, yes, yeah. it's so cool. That's the Bond cool that we love. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, um, and this is where we get Electric Kings first. There's no point in living if you can't feel a lifeline. Mm-hmm. Again, it feels like it's forced into the dialogue somewhat. It does. So, yeah, um, and then we get we get our intro to to, to Renard, uh, the whole burning forest thing, which I didn't quite understand. Um, was it somewhere in India or something? I don't know. Or was it just meant to be... Well, it can't have been because it must have been close to Baku because David of uh, Head of Security was there. So it must have been yeah. in Yeah. But he said something that. about Hindus come there for centuries to... To, yeah, to pray with the with the eternal flames and everything. And yeah, I never, I never quite... Got yeah. So I, don't, I don't know. I, again, I think... I think that was meant to introduce the no pain thing because he could pick up the hot rocks. The hot rocks, yeah. Which yeah. is a whole other movie, so. but yes. Um, and then we get back to Electra's house and her and Bond are already in bed and she's spinning the story about how she survived a kidnapping, which is interesting because we find out later it's completely wrong. She's sort of spinning it around. So, yeah. Um, again, playing the victim. Um, and Bond leaves. How could you leave Sophie? Or so in bed and go. Anyway, um, <laughs> he he, he leaves and goes off to play sneaky Bond in the security office. Um, and then he, was it he, Davidov turns up with the jeep and he's got the dead Russian inspector guy in the trunk. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of switching of identities in this portion yeah. of the movie, and this yeah. is another place where I start getting a little lost. I'm like, okay, he's supposed to be him, supposed to be him, but he killed him, but okay, whatever. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just yeah. go with it. So. Um, and that, so then they fly out to the uh, the reclamation site, um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do another aim. We got a lot of the vehicles from this movie. Near Fleming Foundation moment here. So <laughs> you, you're, you're probably not even going to see this, but when Bond gets out of the jeep uh-huh. and puts his hand out to shake the commander, and the commander the commander shakes Bond's hand, all right, and welcomes him to the site, blah blah blah. In the background, there is a Russian energy group jeep that passes in the background. I guess it's probably on screen for like two seconds. Hmm. We have that jeep, and it's a complete, <laughs> it's a complete wreck. But it's Jill's favorite vehicle. Whenever we oh, go up to the up to the uh, the workshops, that's what she has to work on. Um, and uh, so, uh, whenever she sees it on screen, she always shouts, out, "There's my jeep!" Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. It's just so, amazing. Yeah, all the she stuff loves that, that metal guys. jeep. She, she, it's amazing to me how much all the stuff that you guys have, have accumulated. That's so just far okay. out. 
So Close. after the, after the, the world's cutest Jeep, um, <laughs> we get the world's worst nuclear scientist. Oh, we get the world's worst. All right. We have to pause there because we're about to talk about Christmas. Christmas is coming early this year. But before we get to that, as always, we have to thank the patrons that keep our programs on the air and pay the bills so that we can continue to bring these shows to you, the public. For as little as a dollar a month, you can join their ranks. Simply go to www.plexico.net, P-L-E-X-I-C-O.net. You'll find all of our programs there, as well as the link to Patreon.com. You can just go to Patreon.com if you want to and search Plexico. But if you go to www.plexico.net, the link will take you straight to our page. You can join up. You can be listed here among those who keep our programs on the air. And here are the folks who currently support our shows. Our patrons as of the beginning of September 2019 include... Brendan O'Dwyer, we're still thanking him for that awesome one-time donation. Matthew Flowers, Samuel Salvatore, Christopher Burleson, and Carl Von Drunker. Trevor Johnson, Phil Amthor, Winston Body, Willie Carden, Susan Trawick, Ben Spooner, Stephen Thompson, Chris Usher, Justin Bean, Steve Trawick, Richard Stevens, Trading Alchemist, Ross, Kevin Smith, Clarence Alford, David Hegler, Robert Mendenhall, Johnny Caldwell, Reynolds Wolf, Valiant Hermes, Jacob and Robin Fleming, Clay Henson, Ann Kangian, Catherine England, George Gaston, Will Summerford, John McCune, and Tom Anderson. There's David Evers, Andrew Barber, Timothy, Steve Harlan, Dan Thompson, Wes Atkinson, Rich Reimer, Jared Albrick, William Glenn Matthews, Joel Beckham, Spanky, Theodore Gary, Shannon Butson, Taylor Sanford, Mickey B, Hugh Anderson, Shane Bailey, Mick Vigicana, Chris Thrash, Logan Chilton, Tony Perry, Alex Nguyen, Josh Teal, David Simpson, Earl Ricks, Mike Finley, C.T. Wayne, and Dave Powell. Auburn Elvis joins the ranks this week with Robert Drain, Royce Alvarez, Brandon Smith, Thomas Brinson, David Smiley, Jeremy Minton, Lane Middleton, Donnie Reynolds, Wade Carson, Ivor Evans, John Zavachin, Chris Cummo, Darren Pyle, Chris Wardam Wade, Jason Albrick, Randall Walker, Ben, T- ben Amos, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, who I got to see again at DragonCon, and they're just the nicest people. Ruth and Darren, thank you so much. Patrick Williams, who I missed at DragonCon, dang it. Usually see him there. Rob Morgan, Stephen Schuster, James Taylor, John Stubbs, Kenneth Brent Rains, Nicholas Craig, Russell Milling, Matthew Wagstaff, Joey Miller, Mark Squire, Brent Rumble, J.W. Rice, Michael Morton, Lawrence Kane, and our one-time donors or occasional donors, including the awesome Surfer Chickify and our anonymous donors. We thank all of you. So just go to www.plexico.net and click on that Become a Patron link. All right, now, so... You were just bringing us up to the arrival of the great, the awesome, the amazing <laughs> Christmas in August. Christmas in whatever month that is at that point. You mean the worst Bond movie casting ever. Wow. <laughs> you don't don't hold back, Alan. How do you really feel about this person? <laughs> I, I, you know, I got to be honest now. If we're going to lay our cards on the table... She, she is pretty abominable. Wait, what's the, what's the word that, that, that the British use? Um, I can think of a lot. Diabolical. Yes, that's okay. it. That's diabolical. the one. That, that's okay. the one. That's the one you guys like to use a lot. Is diabolical. I like that. I like that. I like that use of it. Um, but in a lot of ways, that's true. But I got to tell you, she she parades around in that little green tank top, and I, suddenly I'm paying attention to the movie again. 
Really? Oh, I just cannot stand her in this. <laughs> I, I, no, I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just something about little tank tops and me. Maybe I just got a fetish. What, do you know what it is about the little tank top and that? It, it's so obviously Lara yeah. Croft's outfit. It's like, <laughs> really, you, you couldn't even come up with an original costuming for her? Wow, I didn't even think about that, but you're right. No, you're right. I'm, I'm too hypnotized it, to think straight. She's wearing, yeah, she's wearing a flipping Tomb Raider costume, and yeah, it's like, really? I guess yeah. what I think of, I first think, oh... And then my second thought, if I have a second thought for a little while, my second thought is, okay, she's a nuclear scientist, you know, but but they're going out of their way to play up the cheesecake, you know. They're going to put her in the tight little outfits, the revealing outfits. She's she's forever climbing up a ladder, you know what I mean? She, yeah. She, she's, she's forever getting wet and climbing up ladders, and it's just kind of like, come on, man, I mean... It, it, at some point, it gets a little ridiculous. But all that being said, the way this and movie – at, at this point in this movie, the way this movie's going, I welcome the distraction, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm like, that's fine. You, you're going to replace solid storytelling and acting with Denise Richards in a little green tank top? I, that's fine. Okay, whatever. That's what, that's what you got. I'll, I'll go with it. So It wouldn't have been so bad if she could have actually acted. <laughs> Uh, well, you're, um, acting, you're asking a lot now. Come on. Yeah, I know. Um, oh, the character had had some depth, you know, <laughs> Good Lord, pretty, man. but with depth. But it's just mm. terrible, terrible, terrible. Um, they're I mean, trying. She makes, Tanya, she, she makes Tanya Roberts look good. Well, I'm just saying, um, they're, they're trying to make her the same kind of character as Doctor Holly Goodhead in Moonraker, and the yeah. difference is that 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 actress could carry that off. And if you consider who had been Bond's sidekick in the previous movie, I mean, come on, we go from Wayland to this. Yeah, wow, that's true. That talk is of, true. Talk talk right. about taking a step back. You got me there. That's a very good point. You go from possibly yeah. the best Bond girl to the worst, in my opinion. Yeah. Boom, right yeah. like that. Yeah. So, like I said, there are three things that really put me off this movie. It's the it's the it's the Roger Mooreisms. It's Renard is the most boring villain. Yep. And it's Denise Richards as a nuclear scientist with a cheesy name. But but you know what? It says a lot for this movie that when I think about this movie, and I haven't watched it in a while, and I, and I think about it, I don't think about any of those things. I think, oh, that's the cool one with Sophie Marceau as the villain, and it's got that cool helicopter, and it's got the cool opening scene with the boat. And I think about those things and think, oh, I really like this one. I was actually going to say, but having said that, and things really, the villain... And the Bond girl and the tone, I don't particularly like, and in some, in one case, absolutely detest, mm-hmm. but I still love this movie. Yes. And even though the three of the major things that make up a movie are bad, so the rest of it just completely outweighs, of which the action yes. and Sophie Marceau and the Electric King's character is just, yeah, completely I, I think it's, the other way. I think it's that, as like I said before, I think it, there may be no other Bond movie where the difference between the highs and the lows are this great. You know, it's like if you did a, a seismograph of the highs and the lows, a lot of the movies, the little peaks and valleys are pretty close together because they're really, really good, you know, for the most part. This one, the peaks go really high and then the lows go really low, and it's just up and down all over the map. And I don't know that there's any other Bond movie because some of them have lows lower than this or as low as this, but they never get as good as this. And vice versa. So this one, this one has a lot of contrast to it. A lot of really, really good and a lot of really bad. 
And that's yeah. And it's just yeah. what you dwell on is how you think about this movie. Yeah, that's true. And like we've said before, sometimes that you know when you watch these a lot, you start to gloss over the other stuff. And you say, okay, yeah, I know there's yep. a bad bit coming, but there's going to be a good bit coming after that. So I'll that's focus on it. that. That's it. Yeah, yeah. So talking of good bits coming, I mean, we, we get into the um, you know Bond actually gets into the reclamation site and finds out what uh, Renard and his men are doing, and actually gets you know face to face with Renard. Um, and actually, I like that um, line of bonds that, you know, he hates killing an unarmed man and cold-blooded murder is a filthy business, but, um, you know, he'll make an exception. But then he sort of does this whole waffly stuff, and it's like, he, there was like 20 seconds there. Yeah. 30 seconds. He could have killed Renard. <laughs> you know, in, yep. instead of it being the usual thing of the, the villain has Bond, and we're like, why didn't the villain shoot yeah. Bond? It's the other way in this around. One, it's, the, it's the other way around. Bond has the villain dead to rights, and he doesn't, and he's been sent out to kill him, and he doesn't. So that's right. Yeah. So, um, and again, Renard's use of the electric electric phrase of "no point living" again feels shoehorned into the dialogue and really does not fit in with the flow. It the does. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Uh, but I will say, despite that, despite the presence of uh, of Denise Richards in this scene, I actually really do like the, the action in this scene. Once we actually get into the the action. Uh, and the explosions and the moving around and I do love the um, two stage elevator delivery of the names Bond fires the thing the elevator shoots up James Bond yeah that was cool I did catch that yes that's very cool yes yeah so um, again I like I like the uh, I like the action in this sequence some of the stuff around it not so much but again I think it plays you know goes forward so Mm -hmm. yep um and of course, we get the the MacGuffin at the end that uh, you know Bond's taken the has picked up the tracker for the uh, for the bo- for the for the bomb. So, mm-hmm. um, which we know will have a use later on. So. Yep, this is true. Um, and then we get uh, switch back to MI6, where Electric King is asking, f- f- um, saying that Bond's basically disappeared, and she knows it's Renard, and she you know she she needs help, and can M come herself, you know. Trap or what? Um, <laughs> uh, at least Bill Tanner objects and says you shouldn't go. But uh, here's, you know, um, and this is—I not... guess there's two occasions that M goes out in the field. This and Skyfall, right? Well, I, maybe at some nah. point in the in depends what you mean goes out in the field. Yeah, just... puts herself in direct danger. I guess puts as herself a... in direct danger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but those well, are two different M's, even if they're played by the same character. She doesn't same know act. she's putting herself in direct danger in the um, in uh, Quantum of isn't it Quantum of Solace where she where Mister White is there and do the whole yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That, that's the really yeah. good part of that movie yeah okay we'll yeah get to that soon yeah soon enough all right um, same actress two different M's but we'll get to that do you think it's two different um, characters yeah they got different names. Oh wow! Oh gosh! Now you're just rocking my world. Now <laughs> you're just messing with me now because I've never oh. thought that. Yeah. Oh geez, I don't need that. That. Oh. All right. We'll get, but we'll to, get to, to that when we get to, we'll get to, get to it. We'll get to it. Yeah. Don't. Oh. Oh man. Now uh, I messed up. Okay. Um, <laughs> so we get back to Baku and Bond returns and he started uh, starts accusing um, Electro being in thrall to Renard that she has the Stockholm syndrome. So we mm-hmm. get that old thing 
rolled out again. Yep. Um, uh, and she's, I actually like her, her the, the dialogue and the way she's written here because she very cleverly turns the conversation back onto Bond to make him feel guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but then we get uh, Em and Robinson arriving at the pipeline control building, um, which is actually in Swindon in England. Uh, <laughs> of course it <laughs> that is. Bu- sure. That building. Um, you can see it from the motorway. Um, but uh, we get... Uh, Bond and Robinson arriving and Bond expressing the theory that Electra is actually behind her father's death, which of course M doesn't believe. No. Um, and then we get the whole thing with the pipeline's going to blow. So Robinson takes Bond and Christmas Jones out to the pipeline rig and they get in. So a couple of things about this pipeline rig system. If this is an automated system, which is what they said, it runs up and down the pipelines checking for leaks. Mm-hmm. Why does it have a seat and a joystick? I, well, I, I, that's never bothered me, though, in the sense that I figured it, if they want, like, a repairman or something on there, they would have a place for him or something. If it needed a human Yeah, operator. but it might be automated. So, anyway. All right. And the other thing is, why does he get Christmas Jones to drive it, knowing that when the other one catches up, they're going to have to swap places so she can defuse the bomb? Why didn't now, he drive it? That's legit. Very good point. So, I don't know. Because they end up having to switch places, so... Um, yeah. yeah. Um, I, this, see, this is another part that I just start tuning out, because it's like, we get the long stretch, and I'm just like, let's just get on with... Yeah, yeah, I, it goes on too long. And, uh, At this point, yeah. I'm, I'm just wanting the, the, the big showdown. Yeah. And he, Bond knows how to use what works one of those things anyway, because he rode one in Diamonds of Forever with his pet rat, didn't that he? That was his pet rat, yeah. And you know, I was going to mention, when, when we get to that whole long scene where Bond's pretending to be the, the Russian and the nuclear thing and, and Christmas and all, yeah. and he fights Renard the first time, when that yeah. was on the screen, I was thinking, oh, we're heading toward the big climax now. And I paused it and looked, and it's like halfway. And I'm thinking, this is halfway? What's left to do? You know, I'd kind of forgotten some things, obviously, but well, it's, the thing, it's weird how it's, it's just this movie is structured very strangely, I guess, is what I'm trying well, to say. Well, it, it is until you think about the twist at the end, because when you're watching it that without knowing the twist, you're thinking, well, okay, this is Bond against the, the big villain. Yeah. That should be at the end of the movie, but it's right. not actually Bond against the big villain. Exactly. It's Bond against the henchman, yeah. because the big villain is Electra King, and yeah. we get that showdown towards the end of the movie, so... It structurally is the normal Bond thing of him usually having a tussle with the henchman about halfway through. Yeah, that's that's right. It just throws you off because of the expectations, I guess. But, but you think he's the big villain, so yeah. 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 Um, it is. So, yeah, so we get the whole, um, the pipeline blows up, Electra reveals her true nature, kidnaps them, rushes her away, and then uh, we, we get Bond doing the whole, let them think we're dead. Um, we'll go off and do other stuff um, mm-hmm. again, which doesn't really play out that well later on. And really, they set that up and does, doesn't really get resolved as a plot device later on. But, um, and then we shift to the caviar factory. So, the, um, ah, yeah, yeah. And th- is that okay? Go ahead. I, I have a question about that, but I want to hear your. Yeah, go on. No, no, no I, I need I need to hear more first. So go ahead. So we get this is where we find out the bullion is revealed as working for Renard 
because he sees Bond's BMW parked behind the caviar factory and he calls somebody and we see Electric King pick up the phone in Istanbul and go, oh, Bond's alive. So the bullion's working for Renard and King. Um, I love Valentin Sikorsky's reaction when he opens the door and sees Bond and it's like, can't you just say hello like a normal person? I love that line. <laughs> so good. He has so many great, great moments. Yeah. yeah. And then we get the helicopter turning up. Um, yes. To slice open the factory, which then Bond blows up with his with his fancy car um but the 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 cool thing there is the fact that you think oh he's defeated the helicopter and all of a sudden his car starts to get sawn in half because there's a second helicopter that we haven't that's sort of flown in around the back so i thought that was pretty cool um because you think oh he's got rid of the big bad but there's actually another one coming in behind them so i think that's pretty cool um, yes. And then we get the firefight around we get the firefight around the docks. There's some pretty good moves here. Um I like the continuation of the shoulder injury yep. grimaces. He still, you know, grabs the shoulder and he still plays um some of the CGI's a bit off, I think, particularly when he blows up the, the second helicopter and you get the blades flying all over the place. That doesn't look quite so good, particularly on a Blu-ray. Um but it doesn't quite stand out. But again, overall I think it's a pretty good fun action scene. Um Yeah. Uh, with, people, good, with, pe- with a good, again, a good performance from Robbie Coltrane in this part, I think. People talk about CGI in these movies, you know, all of them really, but I never really notice it that much. I guess I'm just kind of absorbed in the story and I don't ever get too knocked out of it by CGI. So, yeah, it was fine to me. So. Okay. There's a few things. It's a couple of times in these movies. I think partly because we're so used, so used up until. The, Bros- the, early, the Brosnan ones of everything being a practical effect. It was yeah. a physical, actual stunt or it was model work. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, when they supplement, supplemented that, that particularly sort of, you know, early stages CGI, it, I don't know, to me, maybe just because I'm a model work guy and I'm always looking at the model work. And there's a lot, of, again, a lot of really good model work in this one. That when they don't use the model work mm-hmm. or practical effects and they do add CGI, it jumps out at me a little bit. Right. Um, like I say, particularly if you're watching it sort of on a on a Blu-ray um, or a high, you know, HD, it doesn't quite sit right. Um, not as bad as what we're going to get in the next movie, but it just <laughs> throws me slightly. So, you had a question? No, that was it. I was just going to talk about the the CGI for a minute, but that's I, I think you're right. I think it's that we hadn't really seen it before then, but people were still complaining about it in the uh, Daniel Craig one, so it never really gets much better. It seeming it seems like. No, I think they tried to do too much with it yeah. too early in the in the process. Did you have a question about the caviar factory scene in general? Oh, when I we think started that, it, you said. Well, no, just that was that what he falls into. Yeah. Okay, because I for some reason I guess there's so much oil in this movie that I thought it was oil. I didn't realize it's for that it was actually caviar or something like that. Yeah, because they made that crack about why don't they get they they need to get some toast or something. Yes. Okay, that makes sense. All right. I and then it. Denise Richards is very American and says sour cream. <laughs> sour cream caviar. Um, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, that's the tub of his. I think he actually says, "I'm drowning in a tub of, in my own product, product or something like that." Yeah, so that's right. That line, but yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so we move from there to basically the towards getting towards the finale we get to Istanbul um, which by the way none of them actually filmed in Istanbul I don't know if you know this they actually went out and did a lot of um, scouting and they set up places to film and then there was some sort of civil unrest in um, 
Istanbul at the time, and mm. they decided that uh, they couldn't afford to have any of the major cast out there. So none of the cast, major cast, actually went to Istanbul and filmed in Istanbul. Um, Interesting. Well, we we do see it in other movies. We see it in other Bond movies, though, obviously, from Russia with Love and Skyfall that come immediately to mind. Yeah, yeah, but but at this particular time, there was a lot of unrest going on, so they they had to sort of film around the fact that the cast were not actually in Istanbul, mm-hmm. and you wouldn't know it from from this. I think they they, they do that very, cover that very well. With, yeah. Um. So. Um. So we see the arrival of the Russian submarine, which I think is pretty cool. The way it uses the commercial traffic, shipping traffic for cover by coming in underneath a. Um, cargo ships um, so um, mm. then we get uh, Valentin's um, safe house the ex-KGB safe house um, very cool um, little trivia fact all the uh, the pinups on the walls in the safe house yeah. are all former Bond girls or all Bond girls from former no Bond no way moves. now again that's another thing I never in a million years would have noticed that's amazing I didn't I can't say I, I stood there and freeze framed it and looked but I just read that somewhere that uh, they were all uh, Bond girls <laughs> so. and that's my story and I'm sticking to it <laughs> Um, so yeah, for me, actually, one of the favourite parts of this sort of sequence is M um, in captivity using her spycraft to get them to give her the yeah. um, the clock, and then using the batteries from the clock to set up, yeah, you know, um, fire up the locator card which Bond had given her earlier, yeah, uh, that was sitting in her pocket. Um, I was so impressed. I, I thought that was that that was very cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was impressed that, that, that she got to do something like that. I, I just assumed that she was going to end up being totally the victim, you know, and having to completely rely on being rescued. And when she actually has some agency there, uh, no pun intended, that was, I was, ex- I was excited. <laughs> I was like, hey, look, yeah, I was like, hey, look at, look at, look at him, you know, f- helping herself. That's awesome. Yeah, I thought I was very good. It was mm. very good, Sam. So. I really enjoyed that that piece. Um, so we get uh, the explosion at the uh, the safe house, and then Bond gets captured and taken to the maiden's tower. Um, we find out the uh, the sub crew gets poisoned. Um, so mm-hmm. Sikorsky was it nephew, and all his crew are poisoned and thrown overboard. Um, and then we get uh, Electra King about to torture Bond. Um, and they they shoe her shoehorn the world is not enough into the dialogue. Yes, um, that well, but that's not the first time that they've done that. So I was willing to. Yeah, I, I could overlook. They sort that. of fit. Yeah. yeah, and then we get that uh, weird ch- torture chair, which that's that was weird to me. I, I yeah, what it actually did to him. I kept thinking I, there's got to be like a dozen things that they could do to him when he's strapped in a chair like that that would be worse than what they're actually doing to him. I guess I mean I'm sure it would it would hurt pretty bad, but it just visually didn't come across as like uh, the medieval torture device I think it was supposed to seem like. Yeah, I think you're right. I think visually, I mean, it's obviously was meant to, you know, put pressure on the neck and eventually break the neck, but that's not a very visual. No, grisly death. <laughs> it just didn't. It just didn't work well for a movie scene. I mean, I, I yeah, I think it yeah. probably would be horrible, and nobody would want to do it. But it it just, I just remember watching it the first time and going, "This it? 
that's that's all they're doing to him. I mean, again, I, I'm sure it's ho- horrible, but it just they needed something more visually interesting. I think I don't know. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. And again, it didn't really fit in with anything else that had been talked about up to that point. Right. So, right. Yeah. Um, and this is where King reveals that actually she was the one who manipulated mm-hmm. and turned Renard to do her bidding, and she's the big bad. So we, it, we I mean, we get a long way into the movie, even though they stop building the suspicion earlier on that she's not probably all she seems to be and stuff that um, it's only really towards the end that we actually find out that, you know, he's going off to die. And to be honest, she doesn't really care. Uh, you know, Renard's going off to die on her behalf and, yep. you know, she, she doesn't really care as long as she gets what she wants and she's the manipulator, which is interesting. Is. Uh, um, uh, I think Sophie Marceau played it brilliantly. Uh, it was such a, multi-layered multi-faceted character um i know we'd had femme fatales before but i think this is the only one where the actual lead villain has been a woman yes i think it everything i've read is that this was this is considered the first one where the actual main villain was female yeah so i know we'd had female henchmen or henchwomen before and Mm -hmm. sidekicks and stuff but um, femme fatales but yeah um it was brilliantly played um one of my f- favorite Bond girls, if you like, Bond villains, Bond actresses, um, excellently played. So, yes. um, yeah, like I said, couldn't be much more further away from the other one. Uh, <laughs> and then we get, we get Valentin and his men arriving. I love the line. I'm looking for a submarine. It's big and black. And the driver is a very good friend of mine. <laughs> Another awesome. You can tell I like Valentin's dialogue cause I keep quoting it. Um, oh yeah. So, yeah. Um, and then he gets shot by Electra, but he uses his his cane rifle um, to free Bond. I mean, this is another one where Bond was basically going to die, um, and he's rescued by somebody else. I mean, That's he doesn't true. rescue any, but through his own resources. Yeah, yeah so, uh, which was which was um, it was interesting that that she she bought that he was trying to help that he was trying to kill Bond instead of helping Bond there. Yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah. He sold yeah. it. <laughs> he did sell it. So if you think about it, if Bond hadn't shot Zuskowski in the knee, Zuskowski wouldn't have needed a cane. Therefore, he wouldn't have had a cane rifle and wouldn't have been able to How about that? free James Bond. Wow. I hadn't put that much deep thought into it, but that's pretty cool. Yeah. So yeah that's pretty cool. <laughs> Circle of Fate or something. I don't know. Something out of a, something out of a Disney movie. <laughs> the anyway. Circle of Fate. <laughs> yep. so, um, and then, to me, we get what is actually the real end of the movie. We get uh, <laughs> the chase up the stairs with uh, Electra King laughing at Bond and um, getting up to the top of the stairs. And she's boasting that, you know, you can't kill me in cold blood after everything and all we mean to each other. And then she tells Renard to launch the submarine and bang, bang. Bond kills her in just as M walks blood. in too. Uh, yeah. And uh, just as M walks in and we get M's reaction. And to me, that's where they should have ended the movie. Um, I will literally say my notes. I'm just going to read verbatim what it says on my note for the next scene. It says submarine fight, blah, blah, blah. Don't care. <laughs> I, you know, and the thing of it is, I mean, it's actually in some ways a pretty cool scene. But it does drag things out more. It, it steps on the emotional ending that you just described. And I got to say, 
you know, we're we're especially in Bond movies, we're used to the editing being done creatively so that the villain takes a long time to do something so that Bond has time to react and stop him. But my gosh, watch how long it takes Renard to plug that metal tube into that socket. Oh, yeah. It's like everything takes so long. And it's yeah, the whole sequence takes too long. The actions within the sequence take too long. I don't care about what he's trying to do. I, yeah. Again, it's, you know, the fact that it revolves around Christmas Jones and I don't know. It <laughs> doesn't help. You know, the sub, there's, it doesn't help. The sub has, sub has to hit the bottom. It has to break up. It's like, really? Just, yeah. Um, I don't care about Renard. And yeah, to me, as you said, I literally, this time around, I stopped watching. My daughter was with me and she's like, oh, you're going to watch the end of the movie. And I'm like, no, that was the end of the movie. Look at you. Well, I don't so. blame you, but, but no, I know. I mean, it's like, um, it's like they, they just, I mean, the, the thing that gets me the worst, though, about that is that it, he's, every time they cut back to Renard plugging that thing in, it's back all the way out again, and the, and the indicator dial's back in the black again. And he'll put it about an inch or two in, and the thing will go into the red, and then it cuts to Bond, and it cuts back to Renard, and it's back in the black again, and he's putting it about an inch or two in, and it just, he, like, six times he does that. And after, like, the fifth time, I'm like, for the love of God, just plug it in. <laughs> How long does it take, man? So. Okay. But, so, what, what, what else do we need to talk about from the, from the submarine deal, if anything? Don't have to watch it. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I do, I do like the bit where, and it's kind of predictable, where um, he tells Christmas, you know, we're filling up with water, but you, know, you have to stay here, and when this light turns red, you push this button or I die. And yeah. then as, as soon as he leaves, she gets flooded out, and she she has a hard time doing that. So then he's trying to breathe, and he's like, why isn't she pushing the button? Why isn't she putting the button? Why did I leave my life in the hands of Denise Richards? Oh, Lord, what was I thinking? <laughs> you know? yeah. And then she finally does, and he goes in, and then we get the fight. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's not horrible, but it, it does it is dragged out. And, and it, you're right, it does kind of come after the emotional climax, and... It's you know and, and and here's the thing too it undermines the argument that she's the main villain because yeah. because now, why are you fighting the flunky when you've already ki- you know why are you fighting odd job when you've already killed goldfinger right other than the fact that he's the one with his finger on the nuclear tri- trigger which yeah well but again it was a bit was a bit like goldfinger but at least we, with goldfinger we had the coda of him actually facing goldfinger at the end because goldfinger escaped and right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it just doesn't. I don't know. It just doesn't play well. So, if she's the if she's the final boss in the video game, she shouldn't be well before the climax of the movie. Right. But oh yep. well. Oh well. Uh, and and then we get the horrible thing about Christmas. <laughs> coming twice a year or whatever the joke was. I thought I Christmas know. only came once a year, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 whatever, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, so interesting, no end credit song this time, though there was one actually written. Um, oh. And 
it was called uh, Only Myself to Blame, and the melody is actually used throughout the, the Electric Kings theme throughout the soundtrack. Okay. Um, Interesting, okay. It's the melody. And Japan actually had its own version, its own market-specific end credit song called Sweetest Comer Again, whatever that means. With <laughs> um, something to do with Christmas apparently coming twice a year. Probably, yeah. But... but uh, well, what's the final music then? I don't remember if it's not the theme, if it's not another song. Is it just music, just orchestral? Yeah, just David, orchestral. David Arnold. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Eh, yeah. Right. So, um, and that's pretty much it. Um, for but, and and we get another Roger. Off. We get another Roger Moore moment because the whole thing where they're using the infrared thing to spot the two of them, and it's supposed to just be Bond, and then he moves over, and then, and they're, oh, he's turning red, he's turning red, and oh, he rolls over. And then I'm like, I'm like, this is such a Roger Moore ending. All we need is for him to say, 007. And she does. Yeah. And when she says, 007, I'm like, this, this is like the end of Moonraker or the end of... Um, the spy who loved me, you know, all those Roger Moore ones where he ends up in bed at the end with the with while the while everybody from MI six is watching on some kind of a TV monitor. Yep. You know, yeah. and I'm like, no. ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, as much as I like this movie, did I'm bragging on John Cleese here, but I don't mean it personally. <laughs> Sorry if you're listening, John Cleese. Um, for me, the moment that John Cleese turns up in this movie is the start of the spiraling down of. <laughs> Brosnan movies. There's some good stuff that happens if, after this, but if for me, this is the turning point in the Brosnan movies that they just start to decline slightly from yeah. from that point on. They, they they have their high moments. Even the next one has a few high moments in the first half. Um, but yeah, I don't know why that. For me, this is that's just my turning point is John Cleese's arrival um, in the franchise. <laughs> he's the he's the angel of death swooping in to disappoint you. Yeah, and, uh, probably. And bring so, disappointment. Like I said, my apologies, Mr. Cleese, if you're actually listening. Yeah, and you I'm know sure he, you he does, yes. We're big, we're big with him, yeah. with, with yeah. the former Pythons. So. Now, I know. I, I, it, I, and again, I, I, I've said this a couple of times before, but I just want to make clear. I, I love this movie. It is a good one. But we're just finding a few things that bother us about it. We wish they could have done a little better, maybe. Yeah. Um, and like I said, you know, even though I have problems with three of the main tenants of this movie the fact that i actually still enjoy it and the that that, says I, a lot. while there are some there are some lows and some faults the the, the action and the main villain and brosnan and stuff just they're just so much the high the, the highs are higher than the yes the highest points are higher than the lowest points are low if that makes sense no i agree completely uh, i agree completely yeah, yeah. it's yeah. it's got yeah. plenty of cringeworthy elements to it which i think is one of the reasons it's not as well remembered as it might be but it's also got a lot of really good moments and i'll say again i mean i so we've seen three pierce brosnan pre-credit pre-title sequences now we had the the bungee jump and the whole thing with with mi with uh 006 in russia at the dam we had the terrorist bazaar up in the Himalayas, and we've had the boat chase. Which one do you like? The how would you rank them? I actually think um, in, in the order. I in that um, order. In that order, yeah. Gold, I, I, like I said, I, for me, the the Brosnan movies are sort of law of diminishing returns. Yeah, they, they started, it started out with you know one of the best, uh, and just each one has just got subsequently slightly slightly worse um yeah 
But they're all uh, great. I, think, I, I like all but, three but of them. But I would say that. But but the uh, and the pre-credit sequences as well. Again, you know, I'd put Golden Eye of those. I'd put the Golden Eye one, the the bungee jump first. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the all-time classic Bond opening sequences. Um, so yeah, I agree. But so. I, I agree too. Yeah. Well, all, all right. right. So I think that brings us to the end of the world is not enough. And um, wow. We've got one more Pierce Brosnan to go, which makes me sad because A, we've got one more Pierce Brosnan to go and that's all, and B, which one it is. But that's yep. okay. We'll get through it. There's a lot about there. There is, folks, there's a lot about that one I do like. There's probably more I like about it than most of you. And I know that it, it, gets, it gets run down a lot, but I like a lot about it that other people don't. So we'll, we'll have that to talk about. And man, we've only got one James Bond left to go after that one in terms of the character, you know, the actor. We've only we're we're almost to the Daniel Craig era. We're rolling right along. So how I, I, I did want to mention, I want to pass this along to our listeners that uh, Jared and I, Jared from the um, the Rookie Agent show and and from the music show with Raymond Benson and you, Jared and I were just ch- chatting a couple of days ago, and I suggested to him that when we both both of our shows get caught up we should do a joint roundtable one-off show where we just talk about the whole series, things we like the best and the worst, and just kind of do a, a like an hour conversation, highs and lows. How does that sound to you? That sounds great. Do you really think we can do that in an hour? Eh, well. <laughs> we but yeah, that, that, that sounds great. That would be fun. So sort of do that before Bond 25? Maybe so, yeah, depending on, if, you know, depending on where it all comes Bond out. Because we've got yeah. just a handful more to go, so... All yeah. right. Well, I guess that will do it for tonight. Be sure to check out the uh, the, the Raymond Benson, Alan Porter, and uh, Jared Albrick Music of Bond show that we do on this network. Be sure to check out the Rookie Agents, and then join Alan and me back again next month for Die Another Day. And uh, Alan, I think we're your uh, M is calling with your assignment, so I'll let you go off, and uh, we will talk to you next month. Okay. Looking forward to it, Van. That one should be a really fun conversation. It <laughs> should. All right. <laughs> this has been a White Rocket Entertainment Production.